Welcome to the Boost Health Podcast, where we are searching for wellness balance. Your host is Paul Sandberg, a certified strength and conditioning specialist with nearly 20 years of experience in the health and fitness industry and degrees in human biology and business. At Boost Health, our passion is to learn and share new wellness tactics and help individuals create their own personal health strategy. Join us on this journey of being open-minded and trying new things. You can learn more at MyBoostHealth.com. Welcome to the show. Find your balance. 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 Find your balance. That is our goal here at Boost Health. Welcome to episode number 43 of the Boost Health Podcast. Today's show features special guest Danny Bird, a CrossFit coach and host of the Iron Crew Podcast. We have tons in common, and as such, we went off on a number of topics, including evolving as coaches, mentorship, grit, gaining size and strength fast, mobility, and his favorite three mobility tactics, the power of the mind, proper smashing techniques, fitness community, and how Danny finds his balance. We covered all that, even though we had a few technical issues on our call. We have a ton of stuff that we didn't cover, so we're going to have to have Danny back again soon. Now, a couple quick announcements, and we'll jump right into the show. Extra boost. I am currently beta testing a special members area on the myboosthealth.com website called the Extra Boost. In this members area, I'll be able to share additional fitness and wellness tips, workout videos, nutrition ideas, behind the scenes of what I do personally, a community forum, and more. Now, currently the members area is free and the Extra Boost Holiday Wellness Challenge is live. I give you eight tips to actually improve health over the holidays and build in fun and accountability with your personal goals with a certificate and a points tracker. Just go to myboosthealth.com and click extra boost from the menu to check it out. It isn't too late to get started and have a healthy remainder of the holiday season. Boost Health TV. It is official. Boost Health TV has launched. There are now several episodes of the Boost Health podcast that are available on the Boost Health TV YouTube channel. There are also several awesome workout videos, including a new one I just created that requires no equipment. Now, this should come in pretty handy during the holiday travel. I'll link to the channel in the show notes and blog so you can check it out. And last, the newsletter. If you haven't already signed up for the Weekly Boost newsletter, you can do so really easily. Just put your name and email into the form on the homepage of myboosthealth.com. That way you don't miss any Boost Health news. All right, now here is episode number 43 featuring Danny Bird. Well, I have a special guest with me today. Episode 43 of the Boost Health podcast features Mr. Danny Bird. Now, Danny is a CrossFit coach at NC Fit, which is located in Redwood City, California, and he's host of the Iron Crew podcast. If you haven't checked it out already, you, you got to check it out. It's a really good show. And he and I have a lot of similarities. I think as I talk about his history and his background, you'll, if you've been listening to my show for a while, you'll see a lot of similarities, which is sort of what made us decide to, to get together on a show. 
Well, he, he first fell in love with fitness back in 1996 when he needed to gain weight for his high school football team, which sounds like a very familiar story for me. I think we're about the same age too. Um, and his older brother's best friend is Sal Stefano. And if you haven't listened to the Mind Pump podcast, it's one of my favorites. I think it's one of Danny's favorites too. It's just a really good show. The guys do a really nice job and are sort of middle of the road. They cover all sorts of wellness topics. And so I'm super jealous about this. Danny actually got taken under Sal's wing and it showed him how to squat and deadlift and bench, like learning from a pro like that. That's so cool. And so Danny grew fast and fell in love with strength and conditioning, which is always exciting when you're a young guy and you start putting on muscle. It's super cool. And he started reading everything he could on exercise, nutrition, and health. And he experimented with everything under the sun. So he's a lot like me, you know, doing all these N equals one experiments. And he wasn't a naturally gifted athlete and needed all the help he could get. And his love for exercise continued through college. He actually played football at San Jose State University as a running back. And he double majored uh, in college in psychology and kinesiology with an emphasis on teaching. And later he enlisted in the police academy in 2006, where he was introduced to CrossFit by one of his instructors. The instructor challenged the class to do a workout called Cindy, which involved 20 minutes of pull-ups, push-ups, and air squats. And he felt the positive effects of that style of exercise immediately, and he's been following CrossFit workouts ever since. But he still enjoys all styles of fitness and still implements a variety in his exercise routines today. So, Danny, thank you so much for being on the show today. I really appreciate it. Paul, I really appreciate the amazing intro. I was captivated by your voice. Well, I felt like uh, I felt like I was talking about myself in a lot of ways. I graduated high school in 1997, so I think we're about the same age. And I weighed 140 pounds soaking wet, and I played football, American football. Uh, but I played left out mostly. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I know. I can totally relate. And I, uh, a couple of things stuck out when you're talking is I think that like a lot of times when we, when we say we jive on a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, topics like mobility and proper form and, and longevity is because we are of a certain age that where we've been through ups and downs and realized that this is a long ass life. I pardon me if I, this is a non-cussing <laughs> podcast, but this is a long life. And you start to realize like, you know, probably, you know, everyone's different, but somewhere in the mid 30 range, you start to realize, man, like I'm not even halfway done with my life and I'm already having these aches and pains and I need to prioritize mobility and stuff. And so I think just listening to you talk about how we jive on a lot of things. That's the first thing that pops out is just the fact that we're of similar age. Yeah. And it sounds like you teach a lot and coach a lot in the same way that I do. We, I mean, I've started this, you know, wellness and fitness career 20 years ago. And I can tell you that I don't coach people the same way <laughs> that I did 20 years ago. I don't even coach them the same way that I did a couple months ago because, you know, you have to be open-minded to new ideas. I think that's the most important thing that I coach is try new things, be open-minded to new concepts. You don't know if something's going to work for you unless you, unless you give it a go. And I did not always <laughs> coach that way. Um, I had to learn that the uh -huh. hard way, like you said, through, through experience. So, you know, us, us guys, us guys of a certain age, we, we have that, uh, that wisdom that we can hopefully, uh, share with our, with our clients. Yes, definitely. So we heard a little bit about your background. Well, I'm, I'm interested in this. Uh, so you were running back at San Jose state. This is a great, uh, football college. You must've been, I mean, you're a white guy. You must've been fast as lightning. How, how did you, how did you manage that dude? 
All right, so to clear the air, I was very similar to you. I was playing left out, right? No, so like but you on played at college, dude. You were way better than me. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I was on the team. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, did not see the field much. Special teams at best. And you're right. There was a certain time where I was a, a really good player on the field in high school, and I went on to junior college right before San Jose State. And I started to notice that I was excelling in in the sport in high school, junior college. Because of my sheer grit, my sheer willingness to spend hours on hours in the weight room, on the practice field, studying game tape, and I was not the most athletic person on the field. I always gravitated towards leadership and being like the captain of the football team. But as far as like the fastest, strongest guy on the field, that was never me. That, that Even in high school, that was never me. But I excelled because of my hard work and, and my commitment to fitness, really. So then I go down to San Jose State, and you say it's a great Great, great college uh, team, but I would say it's really not a great college team in the Division One spectrum. It's on the lower end of the Division One, but I guess in the grand scheme of things, and you know, when it comes to like Division Two, II, Division Three, you know, it's, it, it is. It's a it's a Division One school, and you have world class athletes who are recruited from all across the country. Many guys that an end up on San Jose State's football team are guys who had opportunity at bigger universities, but for whatever reason didn't make grades or wasn't, you know, for whatever reason, just didn't get recruited by that big school, but they still had the talent. So I got to San Jose state and I was surrounded by guys who were bench pressing 500 pounds, oh. running four, four forties and just were complete, absolute monsters on the field. And they had the exact same grit determination and work ethic as I did. And so my performance on the field started to, to diminish. And I, you know, I was third string played it down here and there, was didn't see much time on the football field. And right around that time, I started to kind of fall out of love with football and fall more in love with the physical fitness aspect. And I started to realize that like I actually enjoyed training for football more so than I played than I, than I did play football. And is it the chicken or the egg? I don't know if it was just because like I got to a certain age where I just wanted to to work out and not really get like hit in the face every freaking every down, <laughs> or if it was because my my performance on the field started to deteriorate, and that is why I I didn't really like football anymore. So it's probably a little bit of both, um, but nonetheless, that's when I genuinely started to realize, like in my mind, I thought to myself, I'm looking more forward to weight training and running sprints than I am actually running plays and studying game film. Yeah, that's so similar to me. Um, I don't know if I would have gotten more opportunity like you had, I, I may have had a little bit of a different vibe about it, but I, I never had to be like motivated to exercise. I, I always really, really enjoyed that. And, and kind of the same way um, to a lesser extent, because I didn't play at a university level, but I, I did play a lot of sports. And uh, when I got to school, got when I got to university, I was really just focusing full-time just on fitness, not necessarily for a sport. And, um, but it all started. I want to, I want to talk to you about some of your mentors. I know Sal was one of your mentors and I'm sure some of your football coaches were, you know, when I was, uh, going from eighth grade to ninth grade, uh, this was in Florida. My dad was in the military <clears throat> when we were still stationed in Florida, there was a summer football weight program. And I, mm -hmm. my dad was my original fitness mentor. I'd always sort of, he always helped me bang around the old, on the old gym set in the garage, you know, with the, with the concrete weights, right, <laughs> an old right. Joe Weider set. It was so cool. Oh, that's great. It was yeah. So those cool. are, that's, 
that's where legends are born. That's right. right. You know I mean, like the old school, no bumper plates, no fancy equipment, just in literally in your garage that had like a 2% down slope, you know, and you're yeah. like back squatting on an uneven surface and you don't have a squat rack. You got to clean it up into your, your <laughs> yes. you know, your front, you know what I mean? Like yeah. that's, that's good stuff right there. Yeah. A little bit, a little bit more dangerous, but a little bit more fun. Uh-huh. Well, Absolutely. This program, you know, uh, I've been interested to hear, like I said, about your mentors, but I was, I was going from from eighth grade into high school. And I did this summer strength conditioning program for football. Um, if you wanted to play football, uh, the next season, you had to do this program. And I remember this was like seven o'clock in the morning, almost every day during the, during the week. And you were getting out there and, you know, these coaches were tough, but also motivating and, um, you know, still provided a lot of positive feedback. And, you know, they're out there saying, you know, you're building up some, some beach muscles, you know, and the other kids are sitting at home on the couch eating Cheetos, you know? And so it was just like, Oh, this is, I like this community. I like this, you know, vibe of I'm in here working really hard and getting stronger. Um, and I was a skinny kid. So it was just, it was so cool to start to see some, some muscles popping out. So I had my dad was huge mentor for me. And then these, these football coaches, especially that sort of beginning of my, if you would even call it a career, my football, uh, amateur career of, of, of playing ball, uh, was it was huge for me, transformational for me, and I just fell in love with it and and, and never turned back. But t- tell me about your your mentors. Yeah, and and you know the first thing that pops into my mind is when you tell that story is the story about my older brother and I. My older brother Rich, who would I would say he was you know my father figure growing up. He's my role model growing up. We are very similar in so many ways, but we're different in so many ways. And one of the ways that we're different is I was always really into athletics. I was always really into sports and like, you know, going to dances in high school and doing all the social activities where he was a little bit more of an outcast, more of a stoner, if you will, didn't play sports, skated, smoked pot, you know what I mean? (laughs) And just kind of lived just a totally different life where I was up at 5 a.m. even in the summertime as a high school kid, up at 4 a.m. as a college athlete lifting weights and whatnot, while he's out partying, going to raves and just having a grand old time in his 20s. And I remember right around, I think I was 25 or 26, so he was approaching 30. And I remember expressing to him, we were having a beer or something, and I said, you know, I really, really am jealous of all the experiences that you had in your teens and your early 20s. You know, you have so many, like, war stories of, like, hooking up with girls and going to parties and having, like, he, would, he was telling all these really, really cool, fun stories, and I didn't really feel like I had any at the time. And so I was expressing that to him and he he goes, yeah, but you know what, dude, like I envy you because you were surrounded by people who wanted to succeed in what they wanted to do, which was football. And he was like, you were surrounded with people who were motivating. You guys set goals, you achieved them. You were up at the ass crack at dawn Then you went on and did, you know, six hours of school and then you came back and you did practice. And he was like, you were, you were developing habits, rituals, and practices that you are now able to convert into your day-to-day life as an adult. And when he said that, I thought, damn, like, you're totally right, man. Like, if I wanted to go party today, I could go party today. But if my brother, and, and he has since changed, so this is no longer a fact, but for some people, they can't flip that switch to go be motivated and to get up at a certain hour and to be disciplined and to, and to have rituals that set you up for success and I, and, and I always think about that when I think to myself, the value of sports and athletics and how, you know, success breeds success. And the more you surround yourself with successful people, the more you are successful. 
And when you told your story about how you were surrounded by people in that summer camp, it really brought me back to that conversation that I had with my brother. So to answer your question, my brother was definitely one of my mentors growing up and still is to this day. Um, but as far as like athletically, I mean, you hit it right on the head in the intro, Sal. Sal was my very first introduction to, to weight training when I was little. And much like you, I was, I'm just naturally, I'm not, I'm not naturally an athletically gifted person. I'm coordinated. I pick things up fast, but I'm not the biggest. I'm not the fastest. I don't jump the highest. And so I was getting mopped back. I was getting mopped up and down the football field as a <laughs> freshman in high school. And I thought that, you know, I just noticed that there was one common denominator with all the people who were succeeding in football at the high school level. And they were all big, strong, and fast. Mm -hmm. And everyone said the way to get big, strong, and fast is to lift weights. And I, you know, I think I went back home and like my mom, I think she had like a small pair of dumbbells in the garage or something nice. like five, like five pound plates. You know what I mean? And so I'm, I remember thinking to myself, just like hammering like hundreds and thousands of bicep curls <laughs> pushups yes. and sit-ups. And like, I was doing preacher curls with, I was just like making shit up. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, and then, and then my brother comes to me and was like, dude, Sal works at a gym and he, he does personal training and he does front desk and he, he's just, he, he knows a lot about this stuff. You should go hit him up. So I reach out to Sal, who is my older brother's best friend at the time. And I'm like, dude, just show me the ropes. Like, this is what I want to do. I want to get bigger and stronger. So he's like, I got you. This is what you're going to do three days a week. You're going to do five sets of five, bench press, back squat, deadlift. And he was like, you're going to do some shoulder presses in between. And of course, you're going to do some bicep curls because it's Sal. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And he's he got know, some no program that Sal puts out is, is, not, is not complete without bicep curls so so anyway um can you still hear me paul yep yep sounds good but okay um and so he uh so yeah so sal was my first so i did i did exactly what he said all summer long and sure enough going my sophomore year in high school going into football camp i got bigger i got stronger i got faster i was captain of the football team i was a starting running back and ever since then i was wow. I, I saw the those immediate effects and results from weight training and what the weight room can do for you um, and so that's, that's just where I fell in love with fitness. So Sal was definitely number one when it comes to showing me the ropes there. Um, as far as coaches, uh, my high school football coach was a big mentor. He was always one that's just like, you know, I was pretty much a chip off that old block when it comes to my high school football coach, because he was not the biggest, he was not the fastest. He was all about really, really working hard. And I really did learn a lot in high school football about just the positive effects of hard work and getting up early and dedicating yourself to something and seeing the results of all of your commitment. Um, it was, it was a really, really good time in my life. That's so cool. How much older was your, is your older brother? He's three years older, three years older. Okay. Yeah. So just enough to, to offer some, some wisdom back to you. It sounds like for sure. Right. Yeah. And, and you, you had mentioned you graduated high school in 97. That's when he graduated high school. Hey, hey, happy birthday, by the way. I, I heard you just turned 40. Oh, yeah. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, you're, you're coming up on that in, in a few years. And I always say, um, you know, it's, it doesn't really matter what the, the number is. It's, it's how you feel. And I, I may not recover as fast as I used to, but I certainly feel like, you know, with just years and years of practicing different things and trying different things that I'm definitely a healthier person for sure. Yeah. And isn't that funny how that works? It is. All right. So folks, we had a little, little technical difficulty there. Uh, we'll patch this together. Hopefully it, it seems okay. But I was asking, I was asking Danny, if you remember about how much weight you put on when you switched to that sort of mass building strength and conditioning program you got from Sal. 
Yeah. So the thing you have to remember is I was like 14 or 15 years old when that happened. So my, my testosterone was freaking through the roof. Right. And, uh, and I was eating like crazy. I remember vividly going to GNC and just seeking out the cheapest, most dirtiest, bulkiest mass building supplement <laughs> they had. And I think it was like 50 bucks for like a hundred servings or something ridiculous. Oh, and it man. was like mass gainer 18,000 or whatever. And I just remember thinking to myself, like, if one serving of this is good, then another <laughs> serving must be better. And this was like before the technology was was good, like it is now, where like it tastes, it, like now it tastes good. It's not super filling. Where before it was like, it was just this like chalky, crappy powder that didn't taste good. And it was really filling. And it was like, I had to plug my nose in order to chug it down. Yeah. So combine, combine all of those factors and lifting three times heavy you know, five by five deadlift, five by five bench and squat and running wind sprints and playing football and just being an active 14, 15 year old, I gained a good 25 to 30 pounds oh. in about four, maybe five months. That's awesome. So right. So when I picked this up, I think it was around May, it was the end of my freshman year and I did it consistently throughout the summer. And I walked onto the very first football game come, I want to say September so that was, what's that, four or five months maybe? And I was 165, but I started at 135. So yeah, 30 pounds. Wow. I gained 30 pounds in about four or five months. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I I wish I could do that, right? Like, <laughs> like, now I'm like, my appetite's getting so bad that I can barely like keep the muscle mass that I have on. I, it takes work to do just that. Yeah. How, how? Let's see. How tall are you? I am 5'11 and a half. And I know that for a fact because when I, they, they would do our height and weight and testing every six weeks in college. And every, every six weeks, they'd send me up to the scale and take my scale, my weight, and then they'd put me in bare feet and then they'd measure my height. And every single time I would think, God, please give me six foot, please give me six foot. But they measured it by the, they made, they measured it by the quarter inch. And so they'd be like, all right, birdie. 5'11 and a half. And I'm like, ah, <laughs> give it to, just give it to me, coach. I'd be like, I'd like tilt my chin down and then tilt my chin <laughs> up, like try to get like some crazy angle that would get me six foot. So I am 5'11 and a half. Yeah. We're, we're, <laughs> I think a similar build. I'm right at six feet. Um, yeah. and then I, nowadays I'm weighing about 170, um, between 170 and 172, but mm-hmm. uh, in in university, when I was sort of in my bodybuilder split group routine type of workout, I was right around 200. But I feel so much yeah. better and I look so much better and I operate and perform so much better. 30 pounds lighter than I did then. I, I definitely wasn't uh, – the composition of that 200 wasn't as pretty. <laughs> so Yeah. And, and you know, you mentioned mobility before. Yes. Do you feel like you're more flexible? Do you feel like you can get like shoulder to overhead easier because – you don't have these big bulky shoulders and traps. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I'm embarrassed to say, but mobility isn't something that I really studied until this year. Um, you know, my friend yeah. Joel did this, like, he's a big follower of K-Star. <clears throat> and yeah. uh, and he's, he's like, we did a bike ride together and he's like, check out this pistol squat, Paul. You should be able to do it. You're Mr. Strength and Conditioning. And he gets down and do a beautiful pistol all the way down, all the way up, other leg, same thing, boom, boom, no, no hiccup or anything. And I'm like, I've never tried that before, but yeah, I should be able to do that. I do squats and lunges all the time and I couldn't do it then. And I, and I like 
over the next few times, you know, in a quiet space by myself, I'd started practicing these things and I'm like, what is wrong with me? And then I started learning about, oh, ankle mobility. That's where my problem is. And then right. fix that. And then it's up the chain, kinetic chain to other problems. So my appreciation for mobility is relatively new. And that's why I'm saying like always learning new things. And there's this huge component. Uh, I'm going to have to go back and rewrite a couple of articles where I sort of encapsulate what I see as the main elements of fitness and mobility is this missing piece that I, I've just recently added because I think there's a misunderstanding with mobility and I'm sure you can appreciate this and talk about this too. Like mobility isn't flexibility. Mobility totally. is, is body awareness. It's strength and flexibility all combined into one and finding those in ranges of motion. It's not how far you can go down and touch your toes. It's how you can perform a squat and get into that end range of motion. I want to hear your take on this too, but like, I, I really believe in the sliding filament theory now, right? Like if you think of, you know, the sliding filament theory, like Velcro and your mobility is like, let's say you go from like a short piece of Velcro, um, which is strong, but not as strong as a if you get a long piece of Velcro, well, that's going to be a lot stronger than a short piece of Velcro. And I'm sort of imagining that like a, a squat, like if I can go down X distance, on a squat, that's my shorter length of Velcro. But if I improve my mobility in a squat, then my Velcro is a lot longer and that's a lot stronger. And so all of a sudden I'm, you know, doing squat presses with way heavier weight. What's different. Mm -hmm. I'm not doing anything different except this mobility stuff. And so it's like, oh my gosh, that totally makes sense now. Yeah. And like the, one of the first things that pops into my mind is, uh, is like CrossFit games athletes and the difference between like like a like a, somebody who's on the cusp of making it to the CrossFit Games and somebody who consistently makes it to the CrossFit Games. Like let's just say a Matt Fraser. Oh, he's a uh, beast. Matt, Matt Matt Fraser is a beast, right? And nobody but nobody talks about all the the hours of mobility work that he does on a daily daily basis. And you, you know you touched right on the head of ankle mobility and being able to do a pistol squat. Most people who spend many hours in the gym, especially squatting, have the capacity to to squat with one on just one leg. But do they have the balance, the coordination, and the flexibility and stability in the bottom of their squat in order to do that like butter? And one of the main differences between a Matt Frazier and somebody who just makes it to regionals and that's it is stuff like ankle mobility that you mm -hmm. don't. And, and, and it's not only because he's able to get into the bottom of a pistol squat easier. It, what that does is that saves the energy that he would be wasting trying to to get into a pistol squat if he didn't have all that mobility he would be wasting a ton of energy and time getting into the bottom of that pistol so that when he had to go do like power cleans or something he he would not feel as fresh hitting the power cleans because he wasted so much damn energy on the pistol squats and so it's such a highly under talked about concept of fitness and i think that you you, you had mentioned it earlier just about like how it's it's like no, nobody really ever talks about it until until they try to do something that requires it and they're like wow I didn't realize that and I don't know if you can relate but there's plenty of yoga you know people that come into the gym and they're very flexible end ranges of motion is ridiculously high I mean they can pull themselves into pretzels but then you get them into the bottom of their squat and they're just like it's like a flimsy like Gumby or something yes. you know what I mean and you add like a 45 pound barbell on their back. And they just go so low that they're not stable in those positions. So you had mentioned like mobility is not flexibility. And I 100% agree with that is there's a big difference. Mobility is flexibility 
and range of motion, but it's also stability in that position. So the yoga master is a good example. They might be really, really flexible in range, but if you ask them to be really, really stable in a certain position, they might not be able to perform that. And now they're risking some sort of injury or overworking of the muscle simply because they're not stable in that position. And so I've found personally that like some of the best ways to get more quote unquote mobility is to work is to actually work in whatever position you're trying to achieve the stability in. Because not only does that loosen up those joints in that area, but it also creates this mind-body connection to where you're actually forcing your muscles to work in those end ranges of motion. Because I've also fallen victim of the person that spends 10, 15 minutes in a seated forward fold just to get my hamstrings low back and glutes nice and loose. And it doesn't give me any more stability in my deadlift. You know, yes. all it does is allows me to bend over and touch my toes better, but I don't have any, any more stability. So I would encourage uh, anybody listening to your listeners that like, you have to combine both. Yeah. End ranges of motion is very, very important, but it's the stability in the position that's most important. That's a really good point, Danny. And, and I have to concur with you there because I've been on this mission to get better at pistols and I've been practicing uh, even with a, a band assisted pistol, it's still pretty ugly. I've got a long ways to go. So I've been sort of my starting point, And I know Kelly Starrett uh, talks about this a lot is just getting into a squat hold. And his, I think mm -hmm. he starts with like 10 minutes a day. I think that was his very first yeah. MWOD was trying to get 10 minutes a day, which for me is 10, one minutes spread out throughout the day. Um, but I think mm -hmm. that I think you're exactly right. You have to practice those movements that you want to get better at modified versions, most likely, um, especially with something like a pistol so that you can get that body awareness and that that mind body connection. And um, it's like it's it's rotational torque too. in some of these. You know what I mean? Like, I'm sure you've done the 90 90 stretch before. Yeah. To your mm -hmm. point, like you can Love get it. some yogi that's really, really flexible through those end ranges of motion. Um, and then sit them down into a 90-90 and they can't pick their their trailer leg off the ground, that back foot. Yes, they're, right. they're flexible in their hips, but do they have that rotational torque? You know, are they able to turn that femur bone? Most likely not because they're not, you know, when they're doing a squat, they're probably not driving those knees out, getting that rotational torque, keeping their, you know, weight on the middle part of their foot. Um, so, yeah, I think that's, you have a really good point, getting getting folks into those movements that we want to improve on for, for mobility is probably about the best tactic you could do. hundred percent. And there, you, you touched on the mind body and I think I did a little bit, but there's so much to be said about your mind wants to protect your body from movements or positions that it's not comfortable in. And so it sounds so strange to, to think that like you can quote unquote, forget how to use your body, but you can, anybody who's had a significant injury that's debilitated them for any significant amount of time can attest to muscle atrophy. And then once you get back to a hundred, quote unquote, hundred percent, you have a hard time firing off those muscles. I mean, I'm actually dealing with that right now with like this plantar fasciitis thing, like my right calf, like I feel like I've forgotten to, how to jump off my right leg, <laughs> you know, because I've just, I've been battling this plantar fasciitis for a few months now and I'm having a hard time you know, jumping and exploding off of that side. So now I'm having to force myself to relearn how to do that. Um, and so I kind of, I, I really kind of forgot where I was going with that, but, but there's, there's this mind body thing. And so many people, it's just pistol, for example, which is you can do the movement. You're just, your mind doesn't quite know how to do it. And so 
doing things like holding a weight out in front of you to get a little counterbalance yes. can help get over that hump of being down in the bottom of a squat on just one foot. And, you know, you just take that weight off, you just drop that weight at the bottom. And all of a sudden, like your mind figures out like, hey, I can safely be in this position. Now I'm now I, the mind, am giving you permission, the body to be in this position. <laughs> it's kind of weird how it works. It, it is. The mind is so powerful. There's there's a lot of really interesting research, especially from like rehabilitation from injury and mm-hmm. how we can we have the capacity to heal our bodies with our mind. Yes. But we don't have like this, uh, I guess you could call it like an adapter. Like there's, we need the adapter. And that's kind of, I think our jo- jobs as coaches is helping people get that ability to plug their brain into their body and, and, and really get the brain healing the body the way it should. Like back injuries are really, really interesting, especially like there are people that have like full on, you look at an x-ray of their back, they've got a slip disc or something like that. And they're performing no problem. And then you have somebody else that if you look clinically at uh, x-ray, everything looks fine. The disc looks fine, but they're like screaming about back pain. And I think there's something there with the mind and the mind almost tricking the body in certain times. All right. So we were talking about mobility and I don't want to move off this topic before we hear some of the things that you think are some of the better protocols and that you use in practice. Are there a couple of mobility moves that you use a lot for yourself and for your clients that you really like? Oh man, I can legitimately talk about this for hours and hours. A show by itself, right? Um, yeah, yeah. In fact, yeah, I did. I did talk about it for a whole hour, I think. But I, um, some of the most common ones, all right? So I just, I think about it with uh, three three different areas of the body that I find most people are impacted in some way, shape or form shoulders, hips, and ankles. And so from the head, head down, I go with, um, what, you know, your subscapularis, which is a a muscle that's buried deep down inside your shoulder. It's in between your collarbone and your, and your wing bone, your scapula. And if you were to just imagine your trap, you know, on top of your shoulder that connects like your neck to your, your, uh, your, your shoulder, it's that muscle that's right on top of your, of your uh, collarbone right there. If you take somebody's thumb and you just like a massage therapist and just dig deep down in there, oftentimes, more often than not, I find people have extremely tight muscles in that area. So my favorite, one of my favorite ones, my go-tos for that is taking an empty barbell, whether it's a 35 or a 45 pound barbell and putting it, literally putting it on top of your trap, just on one, one trap. So if you can imagine a, a bar that's facing forward and behind you and you're balancing that bar on your trap and it's basically the poor man's deep tissue massage so you're just using the weight of the bar to kind of dig deep in there and that usually in my experience is the is the root cause of most shoulder impingements that i see in people on a day-to-day basis and it stems simply because we're sitting all the time we're behind the car we're driving our car our shoulders are hunched forward, our pecs get tight, and it pulls on that subscapularis. So that's the first one that I like to do. And it's more of a mobility. It's not really a stretch. It's a very difficult muscle to stretch. And that would be the first one. And then the second one is your in the hip region, more your glute, your your um your your piriformis, which is the upper outside of your glute, and it connects your pelvic bone to your femur. And so it gets really, really tight, especially in people who sit for long periods of time. And in combination with like deep, deep, uh, deep, deep knee bends or squatting or lunges, 
or, or any type of other muscle that involves your hips. Um, that's another one. I, I just get on a foam roller or like a really dense PVC pipe or some sort of a hard uh, mashing tool to kind of just dig in there. And that tends to loosen up the hips, loosen up the glutes. And I've found more often than not, people will say, oh, my back hurts, my back hurts. When in reality, it's your piriformis pulling your back or twisting your pelvic bone out of whack. And now your back is feeling that side effect from a tight piriformis. And the third one is just really, really tight calf muscles. And so that's where the ankle mobility comes in. Mm -hmm. And uh, really, really similar to the other two, uh, instead of stretching it out, I tend to want to gravitate more towards mashing it out with a kettlebell or a barbell, or you can even have somebody get, you know, take a, like a dough roller, you know, like a dough roller and just massage your lower calf out. And that more often than not helps with ankle mobility. I'm wondering if that's something that you're struggling with when it comes to your pistols, Paul. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. I think tight calves, I mean, just looking at that sort of dorsiflexion in the foot and limited range of motion on stuff like a calf raise or a down dog, I, th I think you hit the nail on the head. I'm really intrigued by especially that subscapular mobility move. And I want to talk a little bit about application of these different types of you know, mashing or foam rolling, because <clears throat> I actually had sort of a bad experience with it. And, and, and I, you know, I know, um, actually, uh, the mind pump guys sort of follow this, uh, type of rolling now as well, which is sort of the anti rolling, um, where you find an area that needs to be mobilized and then you apply pressure and you maintain that pressure for, you know, 15 or 20 seconds or something like that, instead of just mashing and rolling it up and down the tissue. Is that what you recommend mm -hmm. as well? Yeah. And that's why I tend to gravitate less towards, it's more trigger point really in reality. Yes. It's like, it's more yes. trigger point therapy and not necessarily uh, foam rolling. It's, and that's why I use, I use like the terms bar, like grab a barbell to, to match yes. it out, right? Like grab a, grab a hard PVC pipe. And when I say PVC pipe, um, like the four inch thick ones, yeah, you know, the yeah. ones that you can like sit on, but they're just hard as a rock. Right. And then like for the calf, like I, I, I literally have people um, take their calf and place it on a kettlebell or a barbell. And so you're talking about really, really dense material that you're, you're that you're pushing your muscle and your soft tissue on and it will hurt like a mofo. But essentially what it is, is, a, is that poor man's deep tissue massage, that poor man's trigger point therapy. And if you can imagine, somebody digging their elbow into a point, a trigger point on your upper back. You know, we've all can, we, we can all relate to, you know, our significant other or a massage therapist or somebody getting in like massaging your back. And you, there's, a, there's usually like that one or two spots on your back that just light up like a firecracker. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, that's, that's more what I'm talking about. And so what you, what you would do is you would apply some really, really hard pressure and, and just go, move quarter inch by quarter inch by quarter inch, not big, long strokes, really, really small, um, applying pressure and moving and inching your, your, the barbell or the PVC pipe along inch by, you know, quarter inch by quarter inch, as opposed to big, long stretches. So I'm glad that you asked that clarifying question because, um, I think there's pros and cons to both. I would, I would definitely incorporate some sort of really soft, foam rolling into your mobility routine but if you're if you're strapped for time which we most likely are and you want to just get right to the source figure out those trigger points figure out those spots that hurt more than the others 
take a barbell, a PVC pipe or something, or have somebody go in there and just massage it out deep tissue style really, really hard for 10, 15, 20 seconds. And it, it, it literally works almost immediately. Now the, now the catch with that is, is that you have to stay on top of it because you can do that for one day and then your body, your body is a fascinating thing. Your body wants to, your body wants to stay the same, which is why sometimes it's so hard to gain weight or even lose weight. Your body gets accustomed to what you have going on. So if your body is used to being really, really tight in the shoulders, it wants to, unfortunately, stay really, really tight in the shoulders. And so you're going to have to really, really stay on top of it. So just doing it one day or even two days in a row is not going to make all that much of a difference. It'll have an immediate effect, but then it will go right back to what it was because your body wants to stay the same. So in order to get that long-lasting, loosening effect of the muscles, you're going to have to do this every day for 7, 10, 14 days even in order to really, really feel the long-lasting effects of it. Yeah, that's a good point, especially areas that, you know, that really need to come along from a mobility standpoint, you really have to put in consistent work on a daily basis, because it's just going to just, especially if you're doing things that are upstream of that, that are causing the tightness, like, okay, if it's the subscapular tightness that you talked about, and you're working at a desk for nine hours a day, it's just going to keep going back into that set position, because you're, you're not fixing the upstream, you know, cause of that. Um, and I've sort of come full circle on this. I talked to uh, my friend, Anna, who actually uh, is a CrossFitter as well, like yourself. And she actually has, um, she actually, you should have her on your show sometime. She actually has her own really cool gym that she runs out of her barn in Kansas. And she does a lot of uh, huh. CrossFit type of workouts. She's really cool. Um, and she and I had a, a conversation about um, foam rolling and my story, I actually wrote an article earlier this year called three reasons to not foam roll. <laughs> so just to yeah. sort of tell you where I came from, like, so I, like I do with everything, I took it to an extreme, you know, I have a, there's the hardest roller that you can have. And then I wasn't happy with that. So I got the rumble roller, which is the super hard one with the notches in it that dig into your body even further. And I thought, you know, the, the more you do it, the better. And so pre-workout yeah. smash the whole body post-workout smash the whole yes. body. You got five minutes to spare yeah. smash the whole body. And so Obviously, I was doing what you fear with foam rolling, which was I was probably creating new scar tissue. Um, yes, I was probably breaking up, you know, any muscle fibers that needed to be broken up and rehealed back together. But I was also just causing a lot more damage than I was good. And um, I listened to a show that talked about Aldoa and basically taking proper care of your fascia. And, you know, they were a little bit concerned about the actual rolling, like what happens when you roll, you're actually driving water out of your cells in your fascia. And, you know, you, you need that hydration in your fascia. And so their concern was this rolling up and down is actually doing more harm than good. Now that said, mm -hmm. I probably went to an extreme, you know, if you're not massaging in the right direction, like a professional deep tissue massage therapist is going to be pushing uh, towards the heart. So you're not leaving those uh, capillaries open to blood pool. And so there's a lot of things that, that, you know, you have to be careful of. And that's where I think that there's this sort of sweet spot, like you're talking about where find a problem area, treat it like a trigger point, apply pressure there, but don't roll up and down that, that difficult area. Um, and don't, <laughs> don't do it like I was doing it, where you're just doing it a thousand times a day and, and overdoing it there. I think there is a, a proper application of this tool. And you probably saw this happen too. Like when self myofascial release as it's incorrectly called was coming onto the market, probably in the early two thousands, 
every gym all of a sudden had foam rollers and there was foam rolling classes and it, we just overdid it um, without really understanding what we needed to be doing. Yeah. And the other thing that I understand is that you're, you're essentially breaking down the tissue, especially when you get deep into those, those muscle, those muscles. And so you need to give it some rest. So in, in order to, you know, you need in order to loosen it up, it's going to get, it's going to actually get tighter before it gets looser because you're doing, you're applying so much pressure that it can actually be doing damage to those muscles. And so what you need to realize is that, and I, and I've fallen victim to this too, where I'm like, I'm, do the exactly thing that you just talked about, which is mash the hell out of it, stretch the hell out of it, do it day in and day out, deep, deep, hard stuff. And then I'm like, I don't feel any more flexible. It doesn't feel like it's getting any better. And then I'll don't, I won't do it for a couple of days. And then all of a sudden it will loosen up a little bit. So you have to definitely find that delicate balance of too much and too little. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's so true. There, there is value to it if it's done in the right way and, and, and not overdone. Um, well, I know you work in a CrossFit gym and, uh, I think I mentioned earlier, I'm not personally a CrossFit athlete or trainer, but I really appreciate what CrossFit offers. And I think the most important thing they offer is this, this community that seems like that's something that, you know, CrossFit sort of figured out early on is that if you have this community where, you know, you get, you know, touching on the different wellness dimensions, like social and emotional and physical, and you get better performance and accountability in a community environment, especially with fitness. It's been shown in tons of studies. How important do you think it is for, for CrossFit in general and at your particular gym to, to have this sense of community? I mean, I think that's what makes uh, CrossFit so dang popular is the sense of community. I mean, people, people come to CrossFit gyms all over the world because they want to get in shape, because they want to break a sweat, because they want to learn new skills they didn't know before. And also many people gravitate towards CrossFit because they're one of two things. One on one end of the spectrum, they're former athletes who were a part of a team growing up playing sports, pretty much just performed on their respective fields. The coach was doing the programming. The coach pretty much told them what to do. They took all the guesswork out of it. All they had to do is execute the X's and O's as the athlete. And then they stopped playing their sport. And now they're like, well, what do I train for? Right? Like, what am I doing this for? I'm not competing anymore. I don't have anyone to yell at me. I'm not really motivated. So they seek out the group setting because now they're surrounded by like-minded people wanting to get in shape. So then there's the, there's the athlete, but then there's the other end of the spectrum, which is like, you know, the 40 year old dad, who you know has now got high blood pressure, is now 35 pounds overweight, and has never touched a barbell in his entire life. Wants to get back in shape, can't afford a personal trainer, and so then they find themselves in some sort of a group setting, and oftentimes they find themselves in a CrossFit setting. So those are the two broad ends of the spectrum of people that tend to walk into a CrossFit gym. Now to answer your question about community, is with all that being said, everybody steps into a CrossFit gym because they want to get in better shape. What, what, what keeps them around more often than not is the fact that they're having fun while they're doing it and they're having fun with other people while they're doing it. Today, uh, as it stands today, the day of this recording, it's like a week before Christmas. And we had a whole, our 8 a.m. class came in with white elephant gifts. And they sat around for 30 minutes after class, high-fiving each other, drinking coffee. Uh, they got a kick-ass workout today. It was an amazing workout. But then they stuck around for 30 minutes doing a white elephant exchange. And that's the kind of stuff that they genuinely, I mean, if when it boils down to it, I think most people stay at CrossFit gyms 
because they want that sense of community. They feel better when they leave, not just because they broke a sweat, but because they got that, they, they have a place to belong. I mean, there's study after study that show that if, you know, if people have a purpose in life, if they have places to be, people to see, they're going to live a whole heck of a lot longer than the hermit that doesn't have anywhere to be and nobody's relying on them, you know? And so I think that what helps people stay is that sense of community. So to answer your question, it is extremely valuable. If it wasn't for the sense of community, I don't think CrossFit would be as big as it is today. And I don't think group setting classes would be as big. I mean, there's Orange Theory and F45. I don't know what you got out there in China, but it's there's got to be other stuff, right? Other than CrossFit, that's group, that's group stuff. Yeah, you know, actually, I... I wasn't sure what to expect here in Hong Kong. Um, I started this company about a year ago and I was just sort of putting feelers out there. We live in a big building. Um, it's like 42 stories and there's quite a few different blocks in it. So there's thousands of people. And um, I was just starting out as a feeler. Like, I wonder if people would be interested. We have a little gym here. I wonder if they'd be interested in personal training. I'd like to do that. And I'd wonder if they'd be interested in group classes the weather here is pretty, pretty nice year round. Um, so I'll, I'll teach classes out on the playground. Would anybody be interested in this? And I've been overwhelmed by the initial response of, Oh yeah, that sounds really great. And this is for six in the morning. So people can get back inside by seven and get showered and get off to work. But what's been more impressive and exciting to me is this little community that we've built just my little 6am Monday, Wednesday, Friday class on the playground outside of our, of our building. And, you know, it's not so easy to get everybody up and out the door and exercising at at six in the morning. And so it's that accountability. It's that little community that we have um, that that really has made it successful. And it's it's not me. It's just everybody coming down there. And, you know, you have that sort of built in. Like you said, there's that fun piece of it. But there's also study after study of, hey, if you think that person next to you is working as hard as you or maybe even harder, you're going to be more likely to, to do that. So. And you, and you just, the icing on the cake is that accountability. I mean, there's so many times mm-hmm. when somebody hasn't shown up for a week or two and the first thing that, that happens when they walk in is they get shit for it. You hey, know, where you shit. been? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's in a loving way. It's definitely not in a, in a bad way, but they, it like, you know, people don't want to get picked on. You know, I mean, people don't <laughs> want to get called out that they've been missing the gym. And so there's that accountability piece. Everybody has their phone, each other's phone numbers. They're texting each other about the workouts that they're about to do. They're texting each other about how sore they are, yada, yada, yada. And it's just something that really, really helps keep people motivated because not everybody is the person that, you know, and as I get older, I mean, I'm, I'm becoming less and less motivated to, to work out by myself. So I, I crave the group, the group classes because I know I would just probably skip out on half of the workouts I was supposed to do if I didn't have anybody to hold me accountable. So I've surrounded myself not only with group setting stuff for my own fitness, but I've also surrounded myself with other people to keep me accountable that I work out with just one-on-ones, the two of us. So I think that the accountability piece, I mean, I'm glad that you followed up with that because that's, that, that can't be understated either is the accountability. It's funny. I mean, it's a very real thing that happens. Like I've noticed even for my, myself, I'm, I'm pretty well motivated to do my own workouts, but if there's somebody else in the gym while I'm working out, most people know sort of what I do. And I'm like, well, gosh, I've got to do these extra couple of reps. I'm Paul, the trainer guy, right? Like, I've yeah. got to, I've got to make sure I'm working hard over here. So even just when there's, even if we're not working out together, if there's somebody else in the gym, I feel like I sort of have to have to represent 
Well, Danny, real quick, I know you've got to go. I want to ask you a question I ask all of my guests because I think we can learn something from from everybody today on on how they do this. I'd like to know how you find your own personal wellness balance. And this can be sort of occupational, spiritual, physical, environmental, social, whatever sort of comes to mind. What are some of the things that you do to help you just stay well and balanced throughout each day? I dedicate at least 10 minutes to where I am removed from everything, the world, whether it be my partner, my kids, my work, my phone, my computer, and I do some sort of mobility. Now I call it mobility, but a lot of people might call it meditation. Mm -hmm. And what I find that I most, most beneficial for that is, is the removal from everything else. But it's also forces me to one, be still, but also, be left alone with nothing but my own thoughts in my sick brain of mine. Right? <laughs> so it's like, and so many people find it hard to meditate and find it hard to drive in their car with no radio on or simply be alone. And it's because it's very difficult to do that. It's very difficult to put yourself in an environment that forces you to think about the things that go on in your mind and also just to be alone with nobody else but you and enjoy your own company. And so I find that's that's to answer your question, that is what I do most often that I think many people can value from is set aside a small chunk of time. It doesn't have to be long or a long period of time, doesn't matter, but at least 10 minutes to sit, reflect on the day, reflect on the day that is about to happen if you want to do this in the morning, stretch out a little bit, get your phone out of your hand, turn off the TV, turn off the, 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 the music and, and just be still with nothing but you and your own thoughts. And that's, that's how I find a little bit more of a, of a balance when it comes to this chaotic world that we live in um, and, and just staying sane. <laughs> yeah. I think that's probably really, really good advice, Danny, for, for most folks. It's it, to your point in this chaotic world, that is what we, want to do the least of is, is, uh, emphasizing our parasympathetic nervous system, being quiet, still with your thoughts, like not being on your phone, not looking at the computer, just taking 10 minutes away from that. It sounds like a small thing, but most people don't do this. And it's been shown, especially if you do like, um, if you pair that with some sort of gratitude, it actually adds like 10% longevity <laughs> to your life. I mean, it's incredibly powerful. I'm not asking about a huge amount of time per day, you know, five or 10 minutes a day is a, is a pretty small request to add 10% to your, to your overall longevity. It's, it's very, yeah. important. I think that's good. I don't, I, I don't doubt it at all. And, and, and I think that the reason not many people do it is because it's not easy to do. It's very difficult to do and, or else everybody would do it because there's so much value in it. But it's scary. It's it can be freaking scary to be to be alone and to sit in silence and not be glued to anything else other than just you and yourself and your thoughts. But I've found tremendous value, and um, that that's one of the side things. On a side note, that's one of the side um, effects or side benefits that I've gained value in in stretching. Because when you're stretching, like you can't do anything. You're sitting still for a prolonged period of time, and so I just found that to be very peaceful and quiet. I started to. I do that. I do this usually before I go to bed and I just found myself reflecting on the day. You know, if there was something that was said to me or, um, I heard something negative, I would process it in my own thoughts and just kind of 
it was a, more of a cleansing experience. And so, and, and many people do this in the form of meditation and that's fine. But I just strongly suggest everybody take at least 10 minutes to, to, to be removed from outside, outside elements and just be still with your own mind. That's really good. Have you found that when you, when you're consistent with that, you're able to apply that throughout your day. Like you're talking about, like just being still and letting your thoughts sort of wash over you, which is sort of meditative. Some people talk about taking that and applying it into daily life. So like I've heard it described as like traffic. And if there's a car going by and that's anger, you know, not getting in that car for a ride, or there's another car that goes by and it's sadness or frustration or whatever, and just letting those pass you by. Have you been able to take this, this practice, this, this sort of mobility and meditation ish practice and seen it, um, apply in, you know, situations where you might normally get frustrated or might normally get angry or whatever to, to, to be able to stay calm. You know, I've never put those pieces together the way that you just eloquently described. That was very, very nice. Um, but I would agree with that. I, I've, I often tell people that since prioritizing flexibility and mobility and recovery, like what I've been explaining, I've found myself being more patient mm. just in general in my day-to-day life. And I think that, shoot, maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe, maybe that is exactly what it is. I'm starting to be able to be a little bit more mindful about the things that are happening and be a little bit more flexible, not, not, not physically flexible, but, you know, just flexible with my emotions and flexible with my mindset. And I think, I think that those are things that very, very much apply to me. I, I you know, I, I never really put those pieces together, but, but I can say with 100% certainty that, you know, in, in the year and a half to two years that I've really, really been prioritizing flexibility and mobility, I've gotten drastically more patient in my day-to-day life. That's so cool. Yeah. yeah I bet that's, yeah, even crazy. though you're not necessarily directly thinking about it, I bet that's exactly, I bet that's exactly what's happening. Yeah. Thanks Paul for putting that together. For me. <laughs> <laughs> well, Danny, I know you've got to go. I've had you for a long time. We didn't cover, I was probably seven or eight questions that I, I, I mean, you, you have experience in the police force. I want to ask you about that. I want to ask you about your more about your own podcast. Um, we're both dads and able, are able to stay fit as dads. Um, your personal inspiration and motivation. Like there's so many questions that I didn't get a chance to ask you today. So I hope I can steal you for another hour, hour and a half sometime soon and, and have sort of a part two of our, our show sometime. A hundred percent, man. I had a great time. It was fun to, to chat and uh, I look forward to having you on my podcast as well. I'd love to. That would be awesome, Danny. Thank you all very much for listening to the show today. Also, thank you to my special guest, Danny Bird, for joining the show. A few things you can do to help boost health if you would be so kind. Please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast in your podcast app. Leave a review on the Boost Health Facebook page. Subscribe to the Boost Health TV YouTube channel and follow My Boost Health on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You can also visit the Boost Health website at myboosthealth.com for links to everything along with more motivation and information. Until next time, this is Paul Sandberg for Danny Bird saying goodbye and find your balance.